0: Welcome everyone back uh, to the podcast. We have Muriel with us again. Thank you so much for being here. We had a chat, which some of you have either probably heard or about to hear, because I haven't published it. But it was so good that we decided to do a more, I guess, like a, a more, we picked a topic, right? Because this month is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. October is the month for that. Muriel was mentioning in our last, Chat that you have worked with the LAPD before in the past. You don't do that anymore, but you did for a while. And you saw you worked specifically with domestic violence cases, correct? Yes. Okay. And then, so what? What was it that you did then? Were you more like a like a like a counselor type person weighing in on the situation, or what was your role then?
1: I was more as a first responder. Okay. We were, the 911 call will come in, somebody's calling in regards of domestic violence, or there's some type of conflict, and like the neighbors calling in to their neighbors, things like that. So the police will go first. Uh-huh. They will clear, make sure everything is it's safe, situated, if they have to arrest someone. So once it's all clear, and work with the identifying victim at that moment. Okay. So I will assess for safety, Is this like a case for the Department of Children? Do they need to be relocated? If the perpetrator or, you know, the abuser was not arrested, is he gonna come back? Do you have somewhere to go? So really do like a crisis assessment to make sure that the moment I leave, that client with the children or whoever was in the house are safe. You know, that entails a lot of things yeah we requesting an emergency res- uh protecting order which a lot of people don't know about it you know but the police here in California they can contact a judge that it's on call and get a 7 day restraining order for the victim okay the, it's a 30 to an hour phone call and it's very helpful because when there're children involved you know you want to make sure that you're showing the Department of Children that you're a fit parent. Mm. So these are very good tools to have as you're navigating that because you know when you're, you're when you're a victim of domestic violence and your children are present, they're gonna get the the call uh, the visit from the social worker and assess the children. And unfortunately, the system has been built in a way that they're not there to support the parent. And a lot of the things that they ask, it's information that they have never received. So they're being seen as they're unfit. You know, they're they're not there for the children. They don't want to protect the children. But they don't take oh, so
0: they would be like, "What have you done?" Almost like, "Have you done this X, Y, and Z?" And the parent, because they don't know that these things are available, are like, "No," and then that automatically is like a red flag to them, like a negative check mark. Okay. Yeah.
1: No, and they can take your kids away. Yeah. Lack of information. Lack of access to resources. Or. The police officer is not equipped to provide those resources to to take the extra 30 minutes, 45 minutes to make the phone call and give the client a restraining order if they need to, you know, the victim at that moment.
0: So then and I know you said that you were very clear this is what happens in California, but it wouldn't hurt for somebody, say, like here in Texas or any other state to ask the officer present at the time, right? Like, is there any way that you can make a phone call for me? Would you advise them to possibly, if they deny or decline, just to be on the safe side to write down the officer's name, badge number, and say, I requested this, and have the person sign it for them? Definitely, definitely.
1: Here, uh, when I was working with LAPD, I would tell the the, the victims, you know, because it wasn't our first time going to the house, so it will be something like you need to call the watch commander you need to ask to talk to the watch commander you need to ask for an officer to speak your language that understands what you're trying to say because then that's where the misinformation starts you know because they're trying to communicate their english is limited the officer doesn't speak any spanish or the other native language so there's a gap and they're not getting the, the information correctly, you know, they're not getting the right resources, they don't understand what's happening.
0: I, I want to ask, uh, there's so many things that I want to ask, but I'm going to see if we can have a bit of a structured conversation <laughs> here and I don't take you down like a crazy labyrinth. But for for domestic violence, did you work mostly with like the Hispanic Latinx community? or you just assisted anybody that was in need? What was that like for you?
1: I assisted everyone that was in need, but okay. it was very specific based on the demographics. So I work with wheelchair Police Station, which is the high cities, or the mid cities, uh, where there was a lot of African, Caucasian individuals that, you know, predominantly there my cults. I knew I was gonna go to either a black individual or a white person, very small. Uh, Latinx family household, if I would work on Rampart Police Station, I would definitely, most of my clients or the victims speak Spanish or or were from the Latinx community. It Uh, depended
0: on area then.
1: Yes, and then with the Olympic Police Station, there was a lot of Korean families there. I, I sort of knew and I have to sort of change my resources, my approach, you know, uh, based on their culture, the understanding of the law, uh, the culture, the Korean culture is very close. That they don't allow other ethnicities to come in and to talk about this very, um, for them, very embarrassing situations, yeah. domestic violence, and very normalized, mm-hmm. in, you know. Um, and there's a lot of hierarchy with the Korean communities where, if the mother-in-law is coming to you and telling you not to file a police report, you're not going to file for this report. You're not going to say something. So being able to learn how to work around that and still provide information to, to this individual and let them know about their rights, you know, because a lot of them, unfortunately, that are undocumented or they were here on a, a student visa, they felt they didn't have any rights. They, mm-hmm. they, couldn't, they, they wouldn't have access to any resources, you know, and they did. They, they always do.
0: Yeah. And I know sometimes some of them just fear having to deal with law enforcement, period, right? Like they don't re- they don't really wanna have like any anything on record that looks negative for them. Like there's just a lot of fear, um, around this. But um you know, domestic violence and we briefly that's why we decided to do this you had this great idea to ha- to talk about this um being you know dom- domestic um violence awareness month because we spoke briefly on this where when you think of domestic violence you think of extreme cases of where physical abuse is present that yes. a lot of people still consider that the only case of domestic violence but then in fact domestic violence and abuse just entails like a whole array of situations
1: yes. right? many many forms right uh, when we talk about domestic violence it's not just the physical but it's the verbal abuse the emotional psychological abuse the financial abuse it's the sex abuse you know that power that your partner has over you and if we talk specifically about the Latinx community, it's very acceptance if my partner wants to have sex, whether I want to or not, I have to say yes. I have to agree, especially from a cis woman perspective, right? Mm-hmm. they know that it's part of being in a relationship. My needs are not valid. I need to provide and fulfill my partner's needs and wants at that moment. Other ways is the, the financial, What these women, they don't have access to their paychecks. You know, they're working or maybe they have limited access to it, or that they're not allowed to work. You know, they're not allowed to create other source of incomes for them. However, with specifically with a few or 30% of the Latinx women that I work with, they will work full time. They will have two or three jobs. But their partner will take all the money. Right, you know? they're not
0: allowed to. They're not allowed to make decisions about their finances whatsoever.
1: Yes, you will see a lot of that. They're giving money to their partners to pay their rent, to pay the food, but it was not provided, and that's why yeah. they have to have a second job. Very hidden, they, nobody knew about their second job, so they can have enough money for rent. They can have enough money to to pay for basic needs that they need to, you know. And that's a a lot of things where I will go to some households and the first thing that some women would tell me is like well he didn't hit me. I don't know why you guys are here. You know, he never hit me. He just pushed me and make threats, you know, that he's gonna kill me and he burned this and he threw these things, you know, but he never hit me, so it should be fine. So when I I used to facilitate those support groups for domestic violence you know that psychoeducation that piece was so important so validated for them you know and it really gave them a insight and understanding of why am i feeling this way mm-hmm. why am i having self-esteem issues you know if you have a, a partner that is constantly bringing you down making fun of your body making fun of you your self-esteem is going to be very broken mm-hmm. you know you don't have any self-confidence so as we those pieces together you, you know it really makes sense to them why they were struggling so much so yeah I think it's very important as we talk about domestic violence awareness to talk about the different types of domestic violence and to normalize it and to accept it you, you yes know, but really can, you just don't have tough skin like that's oh, all
0: I know or like or like one of my favorite ones and I have heard this from because another misconception is that only what society deems uneducated people get abused, right? Yes. Which is total BS. So so specifically speaking from a point of view where you have like a seemingly well put together family or 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 family unit, right? Where like mm-hmm. their needs are met, their their basic needs are met, there's no str- there's no financial struggle. And the woman complains to someone or vents, eventually finds the courage to say, because sometimes their own mentality is looking around them and saying, why am I so sad about my situation? Why do I feel so trapped when I have everything right? And like, I should feel happy, but they're still feeling this. And then if for whatever reason they do, there are they are able to get past that and reach out and vent to someone about it they're usually met with that like what are you talking about you have everything like he's so good to you you know like your kids aren't missing anything you have a house you have this and then there's that shame that goes with it of like you're just you're just not happy with anything um, and so that shuts down the person and the cycle continues it's just a very hidden form of abuse and control too.
1: Yeah, and it's very uh, generational abuse. Mm -hmm. I have been to, while working there, you know, I remember this case: underage teenager, going through domestic violence, where the mom also currently was going through domestic violence. So was the grandmother. And every time either mom or grandchild complained, the the grandmother would say, well, it's part of the marriage. Or you have it better
0: than I did. What are you complaining uh-huh. about?
1: Really this case to you, you know, you yeah. have to do better. What are you doing wrong that your partner decides to hit you, decides to treat you that way? So very internalizing that problem, you know, mm-hmm. and at the same time normalizing it because it's very specific as we talk about cis men and women where the, the women are more become a victim, you, you know, and as we talk about their relationships, they're very toxic, very unhealthy, and they feel attracted to that. You know, that's what they like. That's what they want. Especially with the Latinx community, when we talk about, oh, it's not toxica. You know, we have normalized life. I know.
0: So, I hate you know,
1: that. Uh-huh. And it's like, no, it, it's okay for them to ask questions. It's okay to set those boundaries. Yeah. But
0: Like the idea, a- that for instance, of like, cuando tienes un hombre, una pareja, um, and they, they're so jealous of everything and everyone around you. and somehow, as a community, as a culture, we've normalized that to, to mean, well, he just cares that much about me. That's yeah, just how a, much intriguing. he loves me. It's, it's,
1: it's, it's, yeah,
0: which I is ridiculous. It, you
1: know You know, switching into my therapy hat where I have survivors in their room that they're trying to date, that they're looking to rebuild their, to, you know, have a partner. That's what they want. And, and they get bored being in a mm-hmm. healthy relationship because that's all they know. So uh, even though as you get out of the domestic violence cycle, there's still so much work to do. Yeah. Because if you work on yourself, if you don't learn how to set those boundaries, if you don't understand what is this emotions are coming from, you're going to, most of the time you're going to end up in a similar relationship or you're going to become that abuser. Right. Because you protecting ahead of, you're already overthinking, okay, he's going to hit me, so I'm going to hit him first. Right, so, so now you're def- me, on the defense. Uh, so I'm going to call him names first, and I'm going to be toxic, and I'm going to do A, B, and C. So, you know, those are things that you learn through support groups, therapy, and it's really helpful because we want to break that cycle. You know, yeah. we definitely want to break that cycle. And like you said, there's no limit. There's no age um, limit or status or social status, it yeah, hits
0: everyone. Even marital status, right? Because I see, and maybe you can weigh in on this. I see that there's. It's actually even more normalized and accepted to have that level of abuse and control and manipulation before they even set something as like a, a a married couple, like even in dating relationships, like you see that in a lot of young people now and they completely yeah. accept it because we go back to he loves me just that much. She just really isn't to me and she just can't share me with anybody else. And you have levels yeah. of toxicity that are very dangerous.
1: Yes. And each age gap is different. When we talk about teenagers from the age of 15, now it's a little bit younger, now 13 to up to middle and high school, they're already in a very abusive relationship, you know, because they're being cyber bullied by their partners. They use social media as a tool, you know, these kids now that they like to send their pictures mm-hmm. and they're oversharing, you know, those things are, are being utilized to abuse your partner. Now, so it's so important, like it really entails having these conversations, not just with your amigas, comadres, vecinas, talking to your children about that. Yeah. Because it has been so normalized where if your partner, your boyfriend is not texting you, then he doesn't love you enough. You know, I know. If he, you, if he doesn't like your picture right away or he doesn't share your post, now we have to say. If something. he likes
0: someone else's picture, all of a sudden that's a problem. And now you're going out overboard to try to please this person even more so because you feel like he's slipping away. I mean, there's just... I honestly feel... So much for our younger generation, because I think that component of, like you said, cyberbullying and just the Internet itself, it's a very it makes the process even more complicated for them. Like they feel more stuck.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, social media has definitely make an impact on them. And that toxicity of being this happy relationship, right? Those expectations where it goes to one stream to another, where You shouldn't be fighting with your partner. Your partner should always be supportive. Yes, but there's going to be times where your partner is not going to support you and you need to have a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. There's going to be arguments in that relationship. They're not going to be heated physical arguments, but arguments do exist. You know, being in that relationship, it really takes everyday work. You choose to be with this person every single day and you choose to work on it. So it's a two-way round. but when we're talking about social media and these pictures, these videos, this perfection, you know, the relationship goals that it's posed there, it really creates a very unrealistic image and understanding of what a healthy relationship is.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then you have, you find kids even even older adults right you find them arguing and then feeling like i think that's also another misconception like when you're happy you shouldn't fight you shouldn't argue but in fact you there, realistically you should be having some type of arguments you there there are going to be fights but it's a it's about how you fight and how you come together to find a solution versus we're fighting so i can win one over you right which is what i think a lot of people think of when it's fighting like I have to beat you on this one I have to prove you wrong so that I look good and now you're listening to me every single time so definitely probably offering some type of support and education and like how can you argue how can you argue fairly right and, and working together that would probably having be the, something you know, good having yeah. those
1: communication skills you know that assertiveness empowerment to speak up to talk about how you're feeling or why you're feeling that way. But then again, it starts in the family. Yeah. You know, the nuclear family because we speak and we talk how we saw our family members speak with each other, mm-hmm. our parents specifically. So if I know that my mom is crazy in love with my dad, that he's constantly hitting her and talking really bad about her and putting her down, I'm gonna find someone similar because that's what I think love is. That's how it right. defines my you know, and that's what I'm looking for. So it, it definitely impacts and, and, and shapes, you know, how you're looking into things in the future and what expectations do you have when it comes to a partner. So having, again, these conversations with your family members is when we start breaking this cycle of domestic violence. And again, it, it's important to talk about it with everyone because you can have someone as as young as a 12-year-old that is a victim of domestic violence violence and an abuelita that's in their late 80s, 90s, that is still being in a domestic violence relationship with their partner. Yeah. So everyone wants to hear this.
0: Yeah, it's true. And I also, something else that I feel can can be also misunderstood or used as a tool for manipulation, too, specifically by cis uh, men, straight, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to oh, well, our grandmas, our, our grandparents lasted longer in their marriages, you know, because people didn't just give up. But that can be that that's up for debate, right? Because <laughs> sadly, a lot, a lot of the times, these abuelitas were putting up with extreme abuse all forms, right? They had no voice, no right. They had no money. They did, They couldn't work a lot of times, not only because the partner didn't allow it, but also just society itself. A lot of them were living in times where they, they didn't have a right to work. and And they did put up because they didn't have anywhere to go. And so I think sometimes younger couples, younger marriages, younger people listening to that do feel like you're right. I should keep fighting for this. And, but, but, and yes, marriage is hard. Partnerships are hard. Um, it is an everyday choice and you are going to have to sometimes compromise and do things that don't necessarily feel like, ugh, I'm not a hundred percent okay with this, but it shouldn't be harmful. It shouldn't be, it should never be a question of like, you put your values on the line for me, mm-hmm. right? And but but I do hear that a lot, and specifically from men, you know, cis men, where and, and no aguantas nada.
1: Yes, I'm sorry to interrupt. But I think no, not, no, no, no. Go you ahead. Know, it's something that I talk to my clients, whether they're cis men or cis women. Once you have awareness, that comes with the accountability, and mm-hmm. that accountability comes with the responsibility of how you're gonna do later on. What changes, what choices you're going to make? And back then, there was no awareness. Domestic violence law here in the U.S., it's not older than 100 years, you know? Yeah,
0: it wasn't seen as a problem. It wasn't a thing.
1: It was was more about, you know, go back to your house and solve that with your husband, with your your wife. Why are you here? Like, we we don't take care of family issues. You know, This, this is not a crime. That's not a problem. So if that happened here in the U.S., think about Latin America you know, in South America, Central America, even now, this feminist side that always happens that we're being beaten. We have no rights. They keep being taken away, right? So it's a whole cycle. And yeah. it takes so much time to fix it. You know, yeah, because it's
0: deeply, deeply rooted. It's, oh, it's deeply rooted. I, I talk even to young boys. I've had conversations where I do see a glimpse of of maybe more awareness and they there are things where they feel like, oh, that wasn't OK. And I just don't wouldn't feel comfortable doing that to my partner. But then you continue to have conversation. And and and, and as you dig deeper, you realize that there's still some machismo left in all of them, right? Yeah. Which under the right circumstances with the right people, the right environment, they will come out.
1: Yes. You know, and that one great example is that gaslighting. Yeah, where it's a it's a very new, unfortunately, thing to do when you're in a domestic violence situation, very passive aggressive, a lot of people do not recognize it, you know, because it's very normalized. Where they're they're calling you, oh, that's loca. you know, "You're overreacting." What are you talking about? It's your fault. You did right. this. Right. And
0: because for those of us listening right now, or those of you listening, which I'm, I think this is something that a lot of us are um, aware of. But you know, you never know. But basically, it 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 feels like you are crazy because the person doing this this act of gaslighting is completely calm right it and it's completely taking away from how you're feeling and you're invalidating your feelings and then in a way you do look to the outside person or the outside people as you being the problem right (laughs) and you do feel crazy definitely and you know that's something that's
1: happening a lot and very different layers you know and it's not very common in a domestic violence situation to to feel gaslighted by your partner you know when you're speaking up about your emotions when you're setting boundaries how they shifted against you you know well what are you doing that for like something must be wrong with you that you have the need that these things need to change x y and c so it's always good to if you know you're ready to make changes it's not gonna happen from one day to another. It mm-hmm. takes time, you know, and as we transition even to this topic, what do I do if I know I, I am a victim of domestic violence? You put yourself at a very high risk the moment you decide to leave your partner because it, definitely the violence, the aggression is gonna intensify, it's gonna escalate really quickly. So as you're thinking about that, there's a reason we create a plan on how to leave your partner, you know, how to take the steps to get my things ready, who do I need to contact, where I need to go, what's my support system like? What kind of resources I have access to. Because unfortunately I'm gonna talk here about in California, when you called shelter for domestic violence, it takes um sometimes minimum like two hours on the phone for them to tell you no we don't have any space. I remember helping a family of three And it took me a day and a half to get them into a shelter, a day and a half.
0: Just a shelter, like that, just the transition.
1: To get them into the shelter. And they had to wait at the police station. We have to get them food because the shelters were impacted, over occupied. There was no space. So I remember calling many different shelters, calling them back four or five times, Asking for more space, asking for some type of resources, asking for other options. So it's so difficult. Like again, the system has been made in this way that it's so difficult that when you're ready to leave, it's not that easy. Yeah, you know, when you're ready to leave. That one friend might not be there for you. That family member might shame you for deciding to break your family, for deciding to end your healthy. You're so well put partner that you have, you know? So don't have that expectation that if you're gonna leave, it's gonna happen right away. You have to be very careful how you do things, you know, because that's when the violence increases, the aggression increases. That's when most victims are killed by their partners because they they make a comment like, yeah, I'm leaving you, I'm done, I have all of this ready, it it takes time. And now as you get into the shelter, shelters are barely confidential. Nobody has access. I work with a lot of shelters, but I never knew their location.
0: Oh, ever. okay. Okay. Now,
1: the drop off was I'm going to send them to the police station in Long Beach. We're going to drive the family there. And from there, a taxi is going to pick them up and they're going to take them to the location. And the location was probably nearby San Fernando Valley, but the drop off wasn't Long Beach. You know, so okay. you have an idea the system works because you know we have it's not just you going there to protect yourself we have to be very mindful about everybody else that is there running away from their partner hidden from their partners so it's a lot of steps to take to that you know and even like i said even as you decide to do it it's going to take time because there's resources
0: and and i believe that's an issue everywhere like there's just not enough resources and then the ones that are there are completely taken up all the time because there is a big problem with that no matter no matter like your background or i mean this affects everybody but yeah. as as general as you can give information because i know you're more familiar obviously with california but and and like the steps they take but just as general information if somebody is listening to this or they know of somebody who they feel is in this situation what yes. would be kind of like a guide to follow that they have in mind so that they can do their best to try to get out of this as safely as possible.
1: Yeah, I think a big support is calling the hotline for domestic violence. It's 24-7. There's always someone there to give you resources based on your zip code. You know, if you, for right now, you just need to go to a support group. You just need to go to therapy or you're ready to, to leave the, 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 the household. You know, calling the hotline, the domestic violence hotline it's going to be very helpful I don't know, in Texas, do they have 211? Yes. Okay, so 211, it's a great resource. Okay. So you can call them and you ask them for shelters, you ask them for resources, and they send it to you via text message or email address. Okay. So the moment that you're talking to them, you're getting those resources in your phone with the steps on who to call, when to call, what to do next. So you have those two that are really good, that it's help right away at the moment. You okay. Know, so you can Start thinking about your plan. I okay. um, you know a lot of women, cis women specifically, they don't leave because of the children. What's going to happen with their school? You know, you have rights, and if you're fleeing because of domestic violence, you know, I think one of the best options is to do it through a shelter because once you get to a shelter, you have a whole team. You have a therapist, you have the lawyers, you have the advocates, you have the uh, any and other providers that you need. You know, so you have like a whole team that is going to really take care of every single part to make sure that you're doing everything legal, that you're not um, kidnapping your children, you know, because you're protecting your children. So it's a whole team that is really going to guide you and give you the support that you need as you're going.
0: And then to make it very clear, we're not just talking about, again, like we said, the extreme situations that everybody thinks of which is physical abuse but this is any situation where you feel like you're being oppressed like your voice isn't being heard like you're being deprived of your basic needs your basic rights Um, even if you are in a good home quote-unquote right with your needs met if you are being oppressed and you are being forced like you said maybe to To have sex when you don't want to, which is rape, let's call it what it is. Um, It doesn't matter that it is your spouse or your romantic partner, but any situation where you feel like you just are being oppressed and you're being harmed emotionally, psychologically, physically, that is considered domestic violence, domestic violence and abuse. Yes,
1: definitely. Uh, And because I work with the Undocu community, for my Undocu people that are listening, you still have rights you know, if your partner is abusing you, you still have rights. There's ways for you to be protected, to get the protection that you need, even to change your status if you're a victim of a crime here in California. Um, I don't know much about uh, I Texas.
0: have heard I I have heard of one specific situation where it was proven that she was in fact being a victim of domestic violence, and they actually helped with it. Helped with her immigration status, um, and she had no clue when she started this process. This is something she learned once she was in a shelter, like you said, with a team of people who were advocating for her and helping mm-hmm. her with resources. So she had no clue. But I mean, yeah, you you do have rights.
1: Yes. yes, yeah. Yes. Yes. I, but I think it's very important to to also know and mention to marginalized communities that regardless of your situation, you know, you have rights. Yes. Asking, you know, calling those numbers, the hotline, 211, to get those resources, to get the support. Um, there's a lot of facilities, nonprofits, that they work with domestic violence survivors, families and children. So, and with on your phone, you can find so much information on your phone now about mm-hmm. where to go, who to go to, how to start the process, how can you advocate for yourself, you know, empower yourself as your making this decision because it's a life-changing decision
0: i know because you know what i as i'm listening to you i'm thinking there's so many resources but also that that little voice in your head not allowing you to even take that first step Mm -hmm. sometimes the resources don't even feel important right it's like getting that voice to tell you it's okay you need to leave that seems to be the hardest part yeah
1: Yes, you know, and, and maybe leaving means having a contact with your family for a few months. You know? But Again, when you go to a shelter, you have those treatment teams that are there to support you. You know, you're, you're receiving individual therapy, you're receiving support groups, you know, support therapy, group therapy. Your children are getting services as well, you know, they're making sure they're not getting behind at school. So they're doing everything you need in order to make this transition a little bit easier. Now, as
0: smooth as possible.
1: To get to the point, it's difficult, mm-hmm. definitely. You know, to get yourself into a shelter, it's difficult. And that's why there's so many now nonprofits that are willing to fund some of this stuff. Now, because we know the funds might not be available for everyone. So we, yeah. a we get a lot of different nonprofit organizations that they fight for, for women's rights, that they fight for protecting survivors of domestic violence. So asking for help, looking into resources. So you can, I could share my Instagram account again. You know, there I have a few resources there as, as well. Okay. So if they need any help, I'm, I'm willing to just, it takes five to 10 minutes to do a quick search and give them the information.
0: Right, yeah, because sometimes they don't even have five to 10 minutes to do a search, right? Like there are some mm-hmm. individuals who... Don't even have that. So I mean, but it is good to know that there are so many resources. And if you just get to the right point of contact, maybe they'll start to trickle down somehow to you and help you. Yeah, Yeah. that's good to know. And then I do want to run quickly over some some of the things to look for. I mean, obviously, some of the obvious like signs that you may be in a domestic violence situation, uh, or a situation of abuse period. But then also some of the less obvious that you may even feel silly about, but are definitely something to to look into and to consider.
1: Yeah, if it's a red flag, it will be, for example, where prior to dating this person, you had friends and all of a sudden your friends are not part of your life anymore. You know, ask yourself, why? Why is this happening? It's something that I have changed or is it something that is being influenced by my partner the accessibility to your finances again a lot of people doesn't notice but then they realize wait I pay the whole rent and I pay all these things what is my partner paying for you know each, each couple have their own different financial agreement you know it's so definitely- as long
0: as it's consensual for both like if they say I'm not good with money you handle the bills because I yeah. I'll forget or blah, blah, blah. And if this is an agreement where both people are not being coerced or forced, then it's okay. But if you are all of a sudden somehow don't have access to anything and can make financial decisions because you notice your partner's upset or they give you a hard time about it and you're not okay with that, that's a problem.
1: Yeah. For example, when you're getting into an argument and your partner asks you to leave the house because they need to cool down you know and they're and they're pushing you out they're taking the keys you're locked out of your own home you don't have access to your phone your car keys your credit card that's a red flag those gender roles expectations in that relationship you know it's, it's something that needs to be talked about with your partner but when there's this very high expectations where because you're a cis woman you got to cook clean work and take care of the kids and let me do what I need to do on my own, then something it's happening there. You know, there, there's a misconnection with the roles in, in, in our relationship, um, the culture expectations as well, you know, uh, maybe deciding where to go for dinner or when to go to vacation. You know, it's, it's a lot of your partner taking those decisions for you and you feel like he just likes to take care of me. I just feel protected, you know, but to what extent, right. that you know, what would happen if one day you decide to go out with your friends? What would be their reaction? You know, so each that's, case is different.
0: yeah, that's a, that's a big one because I have, I think it's more normalized for the man to have like a time to go relax and hang out because, you know, they're tired from work or whatever, but then if the woman decides, oh, I want to make plan- plans with a friend or my friends, a group of friends, and they're upset about it, that's a red, that's a huge red flag. Yes, yeah.
1: Yes. Or when they start talking, crap about your family or your friends. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, there's, there are social bad infants, they, they don't like me, what are we going there, we shouldn't go anywhere, let's stay home. You know, again, they're isolating you from your support system, they're isolating you for from work friends, you know. They're constantly calling you, checking up on you. Like, what are you doing? Where are you oh, going? my what gosh, are you
0: I know. <laughs> that's annoying. I see that with young kids. Like, where are you at? And constantly having to know. And if you don't answer my text immediately within the first 5, 10 minutes, you're cheating on me. You're doing something wrong. Like, that's a problem.
1: So, I, again, each case is different. But mm-hmm. some of the red flags, you know, the gaslighting. A lot of people don't see it as a problem, but being guys led in a relationship, it creates toxicity, it creates tension, arguments, it makes you feel some type of way, you know, it creates mental health issues, Mm -hmm. self-esteem, confidence, self-value, self-worth. So also being aware of that.
0: Yeah, true. And then one thing that I wanna ask you as a therapist, as a a good one, as a good (laughs) therapist, like, Ask if you are a person who's in the situation, and maybe it doesn't feel like it's a big deal. Maybe you feel like this is the time because I'm starting to pick up those things. I'm starting to see a little bit of those red flags. What are some of the things that you can do right now to maybe feel better about yourself and, and believe yourself and trust yourself? Because I think sometimes we are the barrier, right? Like we'll see things and we say, Oh, it's just me. That's nothing. Like, I'm exaggerating. I'm expecting too much from this situation or this person. But, it, but if you feel like, okay, no, but I see it more and more and more, what are some of the things that you can do to like build your self-trust, build your self-esteem so that you start believing yourself? And when you see that, you're able to just immediately start exiting before it escalates. Because it always escalates. It always gets worse.
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think one amazing tool is journaling. Giving yourself that space to really talk about how you're feeling, validating yourself, acknowledging what's happening and it helps to keep track of a lot of things. You know, mm-hmm. journal. It, It's very powerful because sometimes we just need a space to talk. and, and We're not going to have that easy access to talk to someone, but it yeah. least to put thoughts down, write down how we're feeling, what are we experiencing at that moment. It's really going to help you release what is it that you're carrying? That anger, that frustration, that sadness, that anxiety, and it's gonna give you a better picture of okay, those are the things that I'm usually writing about. And specifically, I'm able to identify patterns. I'm able to identify how I'm doing things. Am I engaging on healthy unhealthy coping and skills? You know, so journaling really uh, opened your eyes in that sense that it gives you a better picture of what is it that you're going through and also give you the space to release what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. Um, another thing is trying to find support. You know, having someone that you can talk to. Um, with telehealth therapy now, you can find a therapist and meet up on your phone, you know, go in and, and the office, 45 minutes to an hour, even if it's once a month, you know, to have those positive outlets, to have someone to talk to. Practicing some mindfulness exercise, focusing on yourself, you know, sometimes we get so put up with, especially the, the Latina, Latinx families, you know, but as a cis woman, when you're married, that expectation to have children, be a housewife, be a mom, and, and focus on all these other things by yourself, you know, and then we're no longer enjoying things that we used to like we're not reaching out to our friends, we're not talking, we're masking a lot, we're pretending that we're okay. So the first step is to really recognize that something is up there and we need to talk about it and how can I find that support, you know? The support is there, those resources out there. It's about how do we get to that point where we feel comfortable accessing those resources, Mm -hmm. accessing the support system. And that starts with conversations, you know? Platicas in the Latinx community are so powerful. It really they are. It makes you reflect to think about your own situation. So having Platicas is the best thing. It's a very powerful, holistic tool. It's to medicinal.
0: Utilize. It's medicinal. And you know what? I know that, that there's kind of like a negative like stigma attached to that because it's like, you know, oh, you guys are just gossiping. But there's a very distinct difference between just sitting down and criticizing and complaining versus connecting and open, you know, opening the floor in the space for somebody to say how they feel and then being validated, being heard, being listened to. That's very different. And I think that that's something that I think for women, it, it comes very easily for us to do. Right. And so we should and it comes naturally, too. So that's something that we should hold on to as well, because it's very, very it's therapeutic.
1: Yes. Definitely, you know, even utilizing social media, listening to podcasts, TikTok, Instagram, they're not your therapist, but they can definitely give you a lot of information. Yeah. It, it will give you a sense to, okay, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one that's struggling. I just need to find a place to go and talk about it, you know? Yeah. So really utilize all those tools that we have with social media, with family, friends, vecinas, you know, community. Especially with the Latinx communities, you know, we thrive in community. That's mm-hmm. how we ask this. for um, a lot of Latinx community. We have the promotoras, you know, the health providers there that are coming to your door. They're talking about specific issues, you know. So, if you know a promotora, you know, a, a community center, get involved, ask for questions, you know, talk about what you're feeling.
0: Yeah, you're right. Community centers for us, specifically Latinx communities, are key to so many things because you can find support, you know, with finding a sport or an activity for your children to having workshops that, you know, give you so much information and insight into like problems that you may be going through as well. So, yeah, if you don't if you don't know where to start, find a community center near you and you can if they don't have anything like that, you can definitely approach somebody and talk about it and they'll they'll get moving these people are invested in it and they'll they'll put something together yeah especially
1: promotoras yeah <laughs> promotoras, it's a whole movement with them like i have so much respect and love for yeah. them because they definitely make changes in our communities mm-hmm. in the so if you have a promotora you know one that will be your really source to go to for many many things that you need The community trusts trust them they know them mm-hmm. they already know them too so promotoras they know how to make connections and they're already connected with all yeah. the resources, all their nonprofit organizations that might help you
0: the way you need to. Hi Muriel, thank you so much. I'm not gonna take any more of your time because I know you've been up early and working really hard and you still have more work to do. But this was really, really great. I'm sure there's so many other things that we didn't even yeah. like get to cover. But
1: maybe if you want to gather a few questions we can do like a
0: follow-up that's exactly what i was gonna say and i was gonna make an open invitation for anyone listening right now if you have like any questions about this specific topic uh or maybe something else that they're struggling with and they want to maybe if i put enough of them together maybe that could be our next conversation because i'm gonna put it out there muriel pobrecita even though she's super busy (laughs) i'm gonna hit her up at least once a month so she can have conversations with us so if you guys have any questions Anything you want to, I don't know, you're curious about or something you're struggling with, send it to me uh, via Instagram. I know her, her Instagram is open as well, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link all that information uh, here as well when it's published, and then you guys can also send her information. So just let her know you heard about it here on the podcast so she doesn't know what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> Pero bueno, Muriel, thank you so much. This was really, really good, and I'll be in touch with you, Okay.
1: Yes. Thank you. I see you soon. Thank
0: you. Have a good day. (laughs) Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.